You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're in John chapter 1. We're in a message series called Venture, and uh, we're going to be venturing through the Christian faith and looking at uh, biblical and theological storylines, too, that are kind of mega themes throughout all of Scripture. And so today, we're going to be looking at the topic of forgiveness. Um, I know that we've been traveling, traveling a bit, so uh, before we get started, I just want to uh, uh, get a show of hands. How many of you guys have been on uh, any good road trips lately? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Any road trips? Any plane trips? Anybody taking plane trips? Yeah, okay. Um, and then what about, uh, just curious, over the last year, have you gone on any boat trips? Okay, got some boat trips. Uh, what about, uh, this is a big one. I've never, I've, very few people have done this. How many of you guys have ever been on a train trip? Would you raise your hand? Great. And how many of you would you say are recently on a guilt trip? Uh, guilt trips. That's the trip you don't want to be on. Um, and so today, the message is, is really how to find forgiveness. It's a theological idea um, of divine forgiveness. And so uh, what I want you to do as we look at the storyline of Scripture is I want you to uh, understand that today... Uh, this ought to be a time for you to understand how you find forgiveness with God. Um, not forgiveness with somebody else, but how do you find forgiveness uh, with God? And so today, that's what we're going to do. So let's jump into the passage of Scripture, John chapter 1, verses 29 through 36. That's where we're going to be today. And uh, pressing along, we're going to find some words and some ideas perhaps that you're not very familiar with. And what I'll do is I'll unpack that for you. But in John's gospel, this is the Apostle John, who is uh, the nearest and dearest, uh, closest disciple to Jesus Christ. He's writing and recording the life of Jesus Christ and some 90-something percent of what the Apostle John writes about in the first century about Jesus is unique among Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. Uh, So John... uh, brings to kind of the witness stand, if you will, to testify that Jesus Christ is Lord, a gentleman by the name of John the Baptist. And that's the guy I told you about last week, if you were here. Um, If you didn't uh, catch that, you want to catch that message next week. But it's kind of going on in a storyline of day-by-day events. And so here's where the Apostle John writes and records about John the Baptist, who is baptizing individuals, two different Johns, uh, baptizing individuals, and John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah, and proclaiming him. So verse 29, it says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. So Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus is walking towards John the Baptist. This is a holy moment. And said, this is what John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness The apostle John writes about uh, what John did, and John the Baptist said, I saw the Spirit descend 
from heaven like a dove and remained on him. It wasn't a literal dove, it's a metaphor. Uh, in verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, in other words, God spoke to John the Baptist saying, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Uh, John the Baptist believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 35, we see Jesus calls his first disciples. And it says, the next day, John was standing with the two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. Remember, he had a lot of disciples. He was a famous man, a popular preacher. People loved to go see John the Baptist, even though he preached a very difficult, hard message to hear. Verse 36, and he looked at Jesus, and as he walked by and said again, behold, the Lamb of God. Uh, let's unpack two key phrases in this verse. Uh, first is the idea of the Lamb of God. In John chapter 1, verse 29 and 36, says that he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God, who uh, takes away the sin of the world, this is the Son of God. So let me explain, why, why the lamb? You know, like I'm thinking like, that's not a powerful name. Like uh, uh, you think uh, like we know the lion and the lamb and those are two names uh, that have been uh, given to Jesus uh, in his messianic work as Messiah. And if I was gonna be uh, in Jesus's shoes, I would definitely would prefer to be called a lion. I don't wanna be, I'd, Ryan the lion, but not a lamb. I think of Mary had a little lamb, little lamb. So like, I'm like, at least like, what if, why not it be like Lambo? You know, I mean, the old show Rambo, like, I'm, why not Lambo? But no, it's a lamb. Um, why is that? I, I think uh, for several reasons, John the Baptist, remember who his dad was. His dad was Zachariah. His, Zachariah was a priest. And in the uh, nation of Israel, uh, it was a very common uh, religious practice to offer during Passover lambs uh, for sacrifice. And so John the Baptist, in his mind, he sees Jesus and by divine inspiration says, this is the lamb, not of man, but this is the lamb of, help me out, God. This is not a, this is not one who um, cannot atone for sin. This is the ultimate sacrifice that can atone for sin. And not just for the sin of the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. This is the Lamb of God. Um, I think John the Baptist probably was steeped in this passage from Isaiah, uh, the prophetic words about the, uh, the Christ Isaiah 53, 7 says he was oppressed. This is talking about Jesus Christ. And this was written, again, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Jesus Christ. Uh, John perhaps uh, read this and he sees his dad making sacrifices and he just shouts out the, the Lamb of God. It says, uh, Isaiah wrote, before the time of John the Baptist, he was oppressed and was afflicted, 
This is prophetic words about Jesus. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Uh, what is that in reference to? It's in reference to the crucifixion. When Jesus is being crucified and he didn't revile back. He didn't utter words of hatred back when he's being beaten, uh, uh, when he's beating, being beaten and uh, falsely accused and mocked and and tortured and scourged. He, he didn't retaliate. Uh, he was silent. Uh, just the other morning, uh, on a more uh, light note, uh, we were sitting out on the front porch, my wife and I, and we're having a devotional. And I said, what's today's uh, scripture that we're looking at? And she says, well, get ready. We are like sheep being re- led to the slaughter. And I said, oh, that sounds encouraging. Yeah. Um, Recently, we've just gone through a number of challenges. My wife went through a, a little surgery, and we were just uh, taking comfort in the fact that our Messiah, Jesus, knows our pain because he's gone through every suffering and every challenge that we could ever face. And so uh, what we see here in the Scripture, the Lamb of God is, is uh, being referenced. And the question is, is well, what, does, uh, uh, what does he do? Um, the second phrase I want to show you is that uh, he takes away the sin. Uh, it says, he saw Jesus coming towards him, and behold the Lamb of God, help me out, who takes away, help me out, the sin of the world. Uh, those are, uh, he makes it available forgiveness for all who believe in him, for all who receive him. He provides forgiveness. Uh, you don't, you don't go, go to somebody else to find your forgiveness uh, when you have offended God. You go to God. Uh, you, we're not talking about forgiveness with other people here today. We're talking about getting right with God. And this has been practiced in church history in uh, the Catholic Church, uh, in Anglican uh, denominations, and Lutheran denominations. It's part of their liturgy. It's called Agnes Dei. It's the idea of the Lamb of God, and that we ought to slow down as believers and remember there is one who takes away the sin. Uh, the theological word is expitiation or expiation, however you want to pronounce it. And it is a sacrifice that is made whereby the sinner is forgiven and cleansed of their sins. So you and I can find a a cleansing of our sin, and we don't have to be on that guilt trip for too long. Uh, I remember a story of my youth when uh, my art teacher, um, a gentleman that our family knew pretty well, his name was R.D. Wilson. He was a really fantastic artist. He would uh, carve duck decoys, and he could do wood carvings and canvas, and he was sponsored by Ducks Unlimited and Quail Forever and all these big organizations, and he was our art teacher. And I was a troublemaking kid. I'm talking big-time trouble, bad. Every time my kids act up or do something, I'm like, sweetie, just remember how bad I was and remember how bad you were. They're so much better. Um. So anyway, uh, R.D. had left the room, and the problem is, is when you um, know, uh, like a, if you're a student and the, t- the, s- the teacher knows you, then they feel entitled, like they can be extra hard on you, and they even say things to the parents, like, do I have the permission just to whop your boy? Oh, yeah, whop my boy. So 
I could get whopped by RD on any given day, and then he, <laughs> this is back in the day, now we'd be arrested for this kind of stuff, uh, but this is back in the day when literally, I mean, I would say something, and he'd just whoop, pow, whop me, and be like, your dad told me I could. I'm like, okay, great, thanks, R.D. So one day, so I, I had this kind of heckling relationship with R.D., and so he walks out of the room, and he was an awkward-looking man. He wasn't really like a, he was single. Probably there was a reason why he was single. Uh, but he walks out of the room, and I grab a marker um, uh, on the dry erase board, and I drew a picture of him. I figured I was going to do a little art show for myself. And I said, guys, I'm going to draw a picture of R.D. Let's go. What does he look like? Oh, he's big and round. So I draw a big round picture. And like, he looks like this. I'm like, Give me some words to write about him. And so I write all this stuff. And then I said, all right, I had somebody out in the hallway as like my scout. All right, is he coming? No, he's not coming. You got more time. All right. So I start drawing weird picture of him. And then all of a sudden, the student says, here he comes. He's coming down the hall. I said, all right, let me erase it. And I started er trying to erase and all of a sudden, I, I was like, oh, man, it's not erasing. And uh, somebody shouts out, it's a permanent marker. It's a permanent marker. And sure enough, he walks in. I sit down and act like I had nothing to do with it. And then R.D. goes, what's this? Somebody goes, it's you. <laughs> and then they said, who drew it? He said that. And all hands <laughs> pointed straight to me. Ryan, get to the office. Um, the good news with Jesus Christ is what, whatever sin you've committed, it can be wiped clean. And uh, what's powerful about the reality of forgiveness is that sometimes we think that those things got to be stuck up there. And even though Jesus wipes our sins away and cleanses us, that's that word, expiation or expi expiation, that idea of cleansing. He doesn't want you to bring it back up. It's not written in permanent marker. And I think as Christians, we think that if you were to look at the, the whiteboard of our life, it's like you would think that it's not white anymore, it's completely filled in with every sin that we've ever done. And what Jesus says is, no, no, no. Even if you think you got a permanent marker on there, let me show you something. I, I can clean this whole thing. Um, there are five steps to finding forgiveness with God that I want to walk you through today. Number one, you need to acknowledge God as the source of your forgiveness. Uh, the, you need to acknowledge that God is the source of forgiveness. We've got a great God. He's different than other gods. Uh, that claim to be gods and are false gods. But our God is a God of forgiveness. Even in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah said, who is, like a God, who is a God like you? You forgive sin, overlook rebellion of your faithful people. You will not be angry forever because you would rather show mercy. You need to know that God is a forgiving God. He, he has been, he is, and he always will be. Look at Jesus. I find this very unique as well. In, in Luke's gospel, he records the very first words of Jesus Christ from the cross. There were seven cries from the cross. And the very, very, very first words of our Lord and Savior when being crucified are astounding. Luke records the historian. And when they came to the place that is the skull, that is Golgotha, there, they crucified him, and the criminals 
one on his right, one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they, not, they know not what they do. I thought about that this week, and I thought, you and I are the criminals on each side of that. It was our sins that put Jesus Christ on the cross. And what are the words uttered from our Savior? The very, very, very first words are, Father, forgive them. I just don't want us as Christians walking around too long with heavy burdens, thinking that we have done unpardonable sins. The only unpardonable sin would be is the rejection of Jesus Christ, because you're pushing away the offer of forgiveness completely. So he can't forgive you if you won't receive it. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, there is forgiveness. And the very first words of our Savior are that, so you need to acknowledge that God is a God of forgiveness. The Apostle Paul said it like this, he is so rich, Ephesians 1, 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood, the blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice once for all sins of his Son and forgave our sins. God is rich in kindness, God is rich in grace, and the church ought to be a place of grace, where you come and you sing hallelujah, you get excited, you're thankful, and my encouragement to you is whatever happens on Sunday, remember to to put it back into action on Monday. Number two, how do you find forgiveness with God? You need to confess your need for forgiveness. If you don't understand uh, your need, then you'll never need forgiveness. When you're forgiven, you're living. That's when you're living. You're living when you're forgiven. You find forgiveness, there's freedom there. Uh, the scripture says, and uh, the apostle John writes in 1 John 1, 8 through 9, he says this, uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He paused just right there. In other words, everybody sins. Every single one of us, I think of the Ten Commandments, the scripture tells us that thou shalt have no other idols. And in our men's ministry, we've been learning about idols and about putting other things and other people, other, other things in front of God. And that is an idol. Any, anytime you put anything in substitution or to meet that deep need uh, before you let Jesus meet that need, that's an idol. I think of how we've sinned on all sorts of levels. Every single day we sin. It's either the sins that we do that is commission or the sins that uh, something that we should have done but we didn't do, that's the sin of omission. So the whole life is really a life where we're struggling with sin, but we're for, there's forgiveness day by day. Um, some of you uh, maybe don't see your need for forgiveness because you don't see how you sin. I'll try to help remind you of how we all sin. The, the Ten Commandments, the third commandment is don't take God's name in vain. When we swear and we use the Lord's name in vain, it's a sin. Um, think about uh, the common one among our youth and among our, ourselves is a failure to honor our father and mother. That's the sixth greatest commandment. Honor your father and mother. Are we doing that? Uh, I think about uh, additionally, uh, the scripture says, do not commit adultery. And some of you say, well, I didn't actually commit adultery. Well, Jesus took it further and said, well, if you've looked lustfully after another person, you've committed adultery. So we've all, we've all sinned. Or you think about uh, 
Uh, You shall not covet. That's the 10th commandment. Coveting is wanting something that's not yours. Really like that car. Really like that house. I'd be happy if I could do this. If I had that relationship. If I looked this good. If I had that promotion. Thou shall not covet. You think, oh, I don't know about that. Uh, Well, uh, the seven deadly sins. Number one is pride. Number two is greed. Number three is lust. Number four is envy. Number five is gluttony. Number six is wrath. And number seven, sloth. We're all, we've all sinned. The Bible says every single one of us has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how do you find forgiveness with God? You have to confess your sin. Look what the passage of Scripture says again. If we confess our sin, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good news. Amen? So number three, how do you find forgiveness with God? You understand the means of forgiveness. How does it work? I want to read to you a couple of different passages and then help explain it a little bit more. Hebrews 10, 11 through 12 says this, uh, relates clearly back to these uh, sacrificial ideas that John the Baptist was referring to and using the illustration with Jesus as the Lamb of God. Uh, the New Testament writers echoed that idea And Hebrews 10, 11 through 12 says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can, help me out, never take away sins. But, verse 12, when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and I'm sure he said something like, it is finished. We did it. That was a uh, once, once and for all sacrifice for all sins of the whole world. He made it available that every person on the planet uh, could, uh, in hearing the message of Jesus Christ and receiving that message, could be forgiven of their sin. Um, this is why we take communion at the church. This is a foundational mega theme throughout Scripture. Uh, In Luke's gospel, we record a a historic event, uh, the Last Supper, Luke 22, 19 through 20. Look what Jesus says. Um, Look what the apostle uh, uh, Luke says. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Jesus speaks now, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. In my blood. There is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Uh, You can be forgiven. Uh, You aren't going to find forgiveness in um, bettering yourself, uh, ridding yourself uh, from sin. You are going to find forgiveness, a divine pardoning, through the person in the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, you can't go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And somehow that applies from God to you. You need to go to God. Uh, you don't have to go to a priest or a pastor or anybody to find forgiveness with God. Um, you go to God. He is the high priest. He is the one that you can go to. So why do we have priests and pastors talking about the importance of confession? I'll tell you why. 
Because we can be forgiven people, forgiven by God, but it doesn't feel that way. Have you ever been there before where you confessed your sin and you don't feel forgiven? Raise your hand. That's the, why is that? I'll tell you why that is. It's because sometimes you need another person to hear your pain, to hear your sorrow, to hear your struggle, and reaffirm the divine scriptures and say, listen, man, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Um, we need other people to remind us that God's word is true. But those people do not hold the power to bring the divine pardoning. Only Jesus does. So I don't want to belittle the idea that there's no need for confession to other believers. The scripture reaffirms that idea. However, the divine pardoning happens with, between you and God. Uh, people are there to remind us of that. Uh, number four, I would encourage you uh, to find forgiveness. You need to be assured of your forgiveness. So what you hear on Sunday, or what you hear on Sunday, you ought to remember that on Monday. Be assured of your forgiveness. I wanted to take an extra amount of time to tackle this idea of the Lamb of God and what John was talking about and build a theological case study for you to understand that the Lamb of God idea is not about forgiveness with other people. The Lamb of God idea is about a divine pardoning. That Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice and the mega theme of your life is you are a individual who has uh, professed faith in Jesus Christ is you walk a life of freedom and joy that you are free from the penalty of sin. You don't uh, suffer under God's uh, condemnation, wrath, or fury. You are walking in his blessing and favor because you've been purchased from the high king of heaven through the work of Jesus Christ. So you have forgiveness in your life. The forgiven folks are the folks that are the ones that are living. Be assured of your forgiveness. It says this, uh, 1 John 1, 9, I'll remind you again, uh, if we confess our sins, uh, help me out, he is what? Faithful. He's faithful. When you're faithless, he's faithful. He's always been faithful. Uh, God's faithfulness is all over your life. That's why you're here today, because his faithfulness is here. He is faithful. And even in the unfortunate and the unseen and the un, un, uh, uh, unexplainable issues of life, God is still faithful. He doesn't, he doesn't lose control over things and situations of life. He is faithful. And look what it says, and just, he's just, means he's, uh, he's going to handle it correctly. God is perfect uh, without sin and he wants a relationship with you because you are the prime target, the best and the most beautiful, the masterpiece of all of his creation. And he wants that relationship with you. But the big problem is, is sin. And God is sinless. So how can an almighty God have a relationship with his creation if it is uh, constantly prone to wander, prone to leave God, prone to rebel that can happen through the work of Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice. Jesus was 100% man and lived in complete obe obedience. He is the man that we should have all been, but we never could be. And so he serves as a substitute for us. A perfect model. 
and he died the death that we should have died. But God is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is the unrighteous things in your life? John the Baptist was, is, said this, prepare away the way for the Lord, straighten up the path. What needs to be straightened out in your life? Where are the crooked places? The things that need some rearrangement? You probably know those areas more than uh, anybody else. Well, he is faithful. Be assured that if you confess, he is faithful to forgive. I love what Psalms 103 says this. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Uh, He separates our sins. Another passages of scriptures, the Bible tells us that God decides and chooses that he remembers our sins no more. He doesn't remember them. How many of you have been in an argument before with a loved one and it's like you feel like you're in a history lesson of your life, of all the things you've done wrong? And as believers, we don't need to, we don't need to do that. We don't need to put people on that guilt trip, load them up in the car and say, let's go another lap around the track. Let me remind you. We don't need that. But we do need to acknowledge our sins. And we do need to come to our Lord. And we need to be assured that there is forgiveness. Claim the scriptures over your soul. See, here's what happens uh, when it comes to uh, Satan's strategy. Um, We're all tempted. Let's raise our hands. We're all tempted, right? It doesn't mean you're sinning in temptation. It just means you're all tempted. You're all tempted to sin all the time. And what does Satan do in temptation regarding sin? What he does is he minimizes it. He says, hey, you could do that. It's not that big a deal. Just real quick or nobody will know. It's not that big a deal. But then the second you give in to that temptation and fall into sin, Satan's strategy shifts from minimization to maximization. And he says, you are such a loser. How could you do that? You're not, you don't even act like a Christian. You, you're so far gone. You're unloved by God. You're unforgivable by God. Uh, you're not even worthy to be in that relationship. You don't deserve that promotion. You don't deserve this. So Satan's strategy will shift from minimizing it from the time you're walking into temptation and fall into sin and the And the second you fall into sin, he maximizes it. So what do you need to do? You need to be assured of your forgiveness. You fight back uh, with Scripture, just as our Lord Jesus did. When he was tempted in the wilderness, he begins to quote Scripture. You need to be saturated in Scripture. You need to remind yourself that you are um, loved by God. You're forgiven by God. That you can, uh, no matter what you've done, that God can take your sins and remember them no more. He can cleanse that uh, chalkboard of sin in your life that you've got, perhaps written up on yourself. You could write out all your sins if you're struggling. Some of you here today are probably struggling with more guilt uh, than you, you can imagine And what I would encourage you to do is to take all that down, write it down. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'm saying it today because if it's you, you need need some kind of memorable experience to move forward 
uh, to remember what Jesus is trying to do in your life. And that is something like that you take your uh, sins that you've committed, the guilt that you experience, write them down, burn them up, throw them away, and quote scripture and move on. Uh, You don't want to be living a a life where you're in constant guilt. Uh, You need to find a life where you're uh, enjoying the freedom that God has promised you through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Number five, I would say, how do you find forgiveness with God is that you accept your forgiveness with action. It's exactly what I was just saying. Uh, The whole life is a life of action. You need to be moving forward. You need to be active, not passive. There's kind of two parts to this idea. One is the inward response of faith. In John 1.21, John the Baptist says like this. He says basically, behold, that means to kind of look, to pay attention, uh, to take in, to listen to. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what I'm saying to you today is if you want to take action, find forgiveness, you behold him. You behold the one who takes away the sin of the world. You behold it. You listen. You look. You pay attention to. You look to Jesus. You don't look to anybody else. You don't look within yourself to find the forgiveness, the divine pardoning that you need. It is not within you. It is in Jesus. This is why John said, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. So, number one, there's an inward response, and this is why the Scripture says constantly, if we want divine pardoning, if you are an unbeliever, you're not sure about your eternal destiny, you absolutely need to pause if you want to find forgiveness. In this inward response of faith, your heart has to say, yes, I need you, Jesus, This is why uh, the gospel writers said, go preach the gospel to all creation and to those who believe it, to those who receive it, who behold it, they'll find forgiveness. So behold, take action inwardly. Number two, the second part of action, I would say the outward response and the clarity of scripture as it relates to John the Baptist is through baptism. This is why baptism is so important. Uh, Baptism is an uh, outward response of an inward reality. When folks are getting baptized, it's signifying that they they are identified with Jesus Christ and the old is gone, their sins have been washed away, and when they rise up out of that water, they are new. Uh, It's not in the water, it's the symbolism, it's the uh, 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 experience that we have. It's the sign and the symbol of what has taken place through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, it said in Mark 1.4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. That's that inward response for the forgiveness of sin. This is why uh, we do baptisms at North Valley. I think of a story of a young man in our church uh, by the name of Ben. We baptized recently, and uh, Ben came to our church and uh, started hearing all about Jesus and and said, you know what, I want to live for Jesus. And baptism was that step to, it's the outward expression of an inward reality. I'm living for Jesus. I'm new. 
And so I want to encourage you uh, at this church is let's be the folks that remind everybody and especially remind ourselves of just how good God is, how merciful he is from the beginning of our Bible to the very end. Uh, He's a forgiving, loving God. He is the Lamb of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would apply it into our lives. Lord, we thank you for uh, seeing men and women go forward in their faith in steps of baptism. And it symbolizes the, the cleansing of sin that you do within the heart of man. Lord, you're the Lamb of God. You take away the sin. The water didn't take away the sin. But you take away the sin. And we thank you for that. And Father, for us every day, throughout the week, might we remind ourselves through the Scripture, man, if we're good with you, we're, we're good in life. We pray in your mighty name, Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.